Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas to you. That was weak. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Thank you. It is so good to be with you today. Christmas Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays of the year. That sense of anticipation and excitement for the week ahead, the opportunity to be with God's people, to worship, and to consider some of these most important things. If you are new to Old North Church, a special welcome to you. My name is Nick. I'm the senior pastor here. It's been my privilege for the last four or five months, and we are having a great time. I look forward to spending a couple moments with you in the scriptures today. Let's pray. Father God, it is good to be with your people. It is good to consider the eternal work of your son Jesus, how he came in flesh to identify with us in our joys and in our sufferings, how he came in flesh as an example for us, and how he came in flesh ultimately to be a sacrifice on our behalf for the forgiveness of sins. God, you are a mighty God, and we worship you. We lift you up. We magnify your holy name. And we pray that this Christmas season, we would be found as a people who rightly see you in your place and worship for the gift of your son, Jesus. We pray these things in the name of this Jesus. Amen. The little boy quickly reached for the Christmas package. It was from his grandmother. He was excited about opening it and seeing what was inside. Grandma always came up with such great things. So he tossed aside the bow. The card was across the room. This was engaging now in that well-honed practice that all children find to be intuitive of both hands ripping the paper off the package. There was a little white box inside. The lid was sticking a bit. Grandma used scotch tape. But after a couple of moments, he tore the top off. He set it aside. He wadded up the tissue paper underneath and he dumped out the contents on the ground. What a beautiful sweater, remarked Mom. That looks just great, said Dad. I wish I had one like that, said Grandpa. I hope you like it, said Grandma. Oh, yuck! Clothes, moaned the little boy. And he started to cry. He could not be consoled. Have you ever been in that family? Maybe some of you were that child. I guess he wanted toys. He certainly wanted something else. But one thing was clear. What he hoped for, or even what he thought he deserved, contributed to his being unable to appreciate what he actually received. You know, sometimes I think that we look at what God gives us and we give the same response. What we hope for, what we think we deserve is different than what we actually receive. And when we come to that place, 
when we aren't joyful recipients, but rather entitled recipients, we're unable to truly appreciate the gift that is being given. And as we look throughout history, we can see a number of examples of people who wanted something from God, thought that they even deserved something from him. As we look through the Bible, we see again and again a consistent pattern emerges that those who have a prideful stance toward God are not blessed by him. Or if blessing is bestowed, they're not able to fully appreciate the blessing that he gives. But by way of contrast, those who are humble before God are able to fully enjoy his blessings. This morning I want to ask you to open your Bible with me to the Gospel of Luke. And we look at the song of the mother of Jesus, Mary, in what is called the Magnificat. You can find Luke chapter 1 on page 856 of that Pew Bible, and I would encourage you to open it. I'll be referring to the text multiple times throughout the message. And as you turn, let me set the stage for you. You know the story well. Mary had just been recently visited by an angel of God who told her that she, a young virgin woman, would give birth. That the Holy Spirit would come upon her and she would be in the shadow of the Almighty. And that she would give birth to a boy named Jesus who, as the angel calls it, will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. After this, Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who has also been visited by an angel, and will give birth miraculously to a son as well. And while they're discussing the work of God, Mary prays or sings a song, a song that we call the Magnificat, which simply means that she magnifies God. And in her prayer, we see three specific recipients of God's blessing in the coming of Jesus. And there is throughout all three one common thread. And the common thread is this, that in the coming of Jesus, God raises up those who are of lowly position. In the coming of Jesus, God raises up those who are of lowly position. Look with me at verse 46 of chapter 1 as we see the first recipient of this blessing is Mary herself. It says this. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble state of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now when you think about the different recipients of blessing in the coming of Jesus, it's obvious in one sense that Mary would be one such recipient. But 
in a very real way, this virgin birth is so far, it's so foreign from our experience that it's all too easy to remove ourselves from the variety of emotions that this young woman must have experienced. I mean, think about it with me. She was most likely a teenager. This was obviously her first pregnancy. Now, whether you're a teenager or whether you're a woman in your 30s, the first pregnancy is always filled with emotion, as is the second and the third and hopefully not the fourth. (laughs) She came from a common family. And at first glance, you might think to yourself, well, of course she praises God. Of course this would be her natural reaction. I mean, after all, she just won the lottery of all lotteries. And yet, surely fear and doubt were everywhere for her, visited by an angel. How would you respond? Not sure what her family would think. And of course, the fact that her fiancé will not find this to be believable. And so when she is faced with her own fears, we see that her response is one that she trusts God. In fact, her cousin Elizabeth even says this of her in verse 45, right before Mary sings this song. She says, Blessed is she, you, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to you from the Lord. She is blessed because of her belief in this thing that was most unbelievable. And in this trust, we see a few important distinctions, don't we? First, as Pastor Chris pointed out at the beginning of our service today, this prayer of Mary's, this song, mirrors a song, a prayer of praise that Hannah prayed to God some hundreds of years before. Now, for those of you that don't know the story of Hannah, Hannah was a common Jewish woman, much like Mary. Hannah was barren, and her and her husband could not have children. And day after day, she would go and she would cry out to God to give her a child. And God heard her cry. This woman of lowly estate, sincere in her pleading. And she gave her, God gave her a son named Samuel. When Mary cries out an immediate response of lowly estate in sincere heart and sound mind, she prays in line with one of the heroes for Jewish young girls. Hannah was one who received favor for God despite the fact that she did absolutely nothing to deserve it. And likewise, Mary realizes that she has done nothing to deserve this blessing that God has given her. There's nothing she could possibly do to merit such favor. And yet God chooses to bless her in this unique way. Beyond this, we see that Mary recognizes God himself to be the primary actor in this event. Eight times in this prayer does she mention, he has done, God has done, God has done. 
and zero times does she mention, I have done, outside of her praises. In this first section, she points to two specific works of God. She says, number one, that he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And number two, he has done great things for me. In the coming of Jesus, God lifts up those of lowly position. And the first one among them is this girl, Mary. Now, maybe you're here today and you would consider yourself to be a person of lowly position. Kids, perhaps you are the youngest in your family. Students, maybe you're not fitting in with the group of friends that you want to have. Adults, perhaps you are in the position or the economic class or the neighborhood that is easily minimized or dismissed by others in our society. And maybe in any one of those positions you feel like God can't or won't use people like you in significant ways. After all, the world expects highly educated people, people from the right types of families or certain types of lineage to be the ones who succeed, to be the ones to do great things, to be the one that changes the world. But one of the great truths about Christmas is that God takes a woman of lowly estate and now all generations call her blessed. And he continues to raise up lowly people. And our response when he raises us up and uses us in significant ways, like Mary, is to magnify him. The second recipient of God's blessing that we see in this prayer, this song, is found in verses 50 to 53. Look at it with me. The second recipient of blessing are those who fear God. It says in verse 50, and his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. In this second section, we see the idea of God's blessing falling on those of spiritual lowliness or spiritual humility. To fear God, those are the ones who receive his mercy. And to fear him is not necessarily to be afraid of him, though at times it could be but rather to recognize God in his rightful place and to recognize yourself in your rightful place. Great and mighty is he, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Your greatest successes are but a glimpse compared to his successes. Your greatest assets, your greatest giftings, your greatest talents are but a shadow compared to to the greatness of this God. Great and mighty is he. Have you ever wondered 
why you can go through Christmas and have it lose that sense of magical feeling that we all enjoy. How it can feel like a chore instead of a celebration. How the birth of Jesus can feel like just another historical event that we recognize rather than something more significant. When we begin to feel this way, this is an indication that perhaps our fear of God is not quite in proper alignment. A few weeks ago, I was at the primetime dinner with a number of you, and I told this story about a little boy who was writing a letter to God at Christmas. He was writing a letter to God about the presents that he wanted so very badly. And as he sat down at his kitchen table, and he got out his number two pencil and his notebook, he began to write, and he said, Dear God, I have been good for six months now. But after a moment's reflection, he crossed out six, and he wrote three. Dear God, I have been good for three months now. And he paused, and he thought about it further, and he crossed it out, and he put two weeks. Dear God, I have been good for two weeks now. Ugh! He put down his pencil. And he sat there for a moment and he thought. And he went over to the Christmas tree under which the nativity scene would rest. And he grabbed Mary. And he brought her back to the kitchen table. And he sat her down right in front of his notepad. And he began again. Dear God, if you ever want to see your mother again... But this is exactly what we try to do to God in other ways. We want his presence, we want his power, we want his blessing, his mercy, and we try to justify ourselves to him that we deserve it. I mean, after all, this is what the world does. This is how we succeed. Or we make promises to him. And when we don't get what we want, or when we don't get what we think we deserve, we're even tempted to threaten him. But here's the great reversal in this Christmas story. In the world, those who have something to offer succeed. In the world, those who have assets and wealth and skills, they're the ones who gain. But in God's economy, it is the exact opposite. It is not until we realize that we have nothing to offer do we actually receive? It's not until we find ourselves in spiritual, lowly estate can we recognize the goodness of this gift. And so we see God's actions. Verse 51, he shows the strength of his arm. He scattered the proud, verse 51. He brought down the mighty from their thrones, verse 52. He exalted those of humble estate, verse 52. He filled the hungry with good things, verse 53. And he has sent away the rich, empty. This is not the way things are supposed to be. 
in the world today. And I believe that he ties spiritual humility with humble estate materially and spiritual pride with wealthy or status physically for a specific reason. And the reason why he does that is because for those of us of worldly status, the temptation for spiritual pride or self-reliance is that much greater than it is for those of lowly physical estate. And so here's an important application point for Old North Church. I mean, we have a church here that is diverse socioeconomically. Some of you are encouraged because you feel like you are of lowly estate and God is lifting you up, and indeed he is doing that. For others of us, we recognize that we're in the middle class or maybe the upper class, and the application for you is to be aware of that temptation towards self-reliance, towards spiritual pride that can creep in more easily because of your success. He's not saying that all of the mighty are brought down or all of the wealthy are brought low, but the implication is that anyone who lacks a fear of God will be. And again and again and again, we see this dynamic in the Bible. Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs 29, 1 Peter 5, James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so remain humble and hungry, and he will show you mercy. For all of us, let's be people who don't think that we deserve from God, but rather people who desire from God. True joy is found at Christmas when we realize that we deserve nothing at all. And yet God shows mercy to those who fear him. And he does so through the coming of Jesus. In the first century, this was true. Today, it is true. For the proud, Jesus isn't the present that they wanted. But for the humble, he is exactly what they longed for. For the proud, Jesus isn't the present that we want. But for the humble, it's exactly what we long for. The third recipient of this blessing is humankind at large through the lowly people of Israel. Look with me at verses 54 and 55, will you? This is the finishing or the conclusion of her song. She says of God, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God blesses all of humankind through this lowly people of Israel. First we see that he blesses this lowly, humble 
woman, Mary. Second, we see that he blesses those of lowly spiritual estate, those who fear him. And third, he blesses everyone through the coming of Jesus through this nation of Israel. This is how he does it. God made a promise to Abraham, and he kept his promise. The promise that he made was that his wife Sarah would give birth and have a son, and his name would be Isaac. And it seemed impossible because Sarah was a very old age. But nothing is impossible with God. And so when Sarah met the angel, she scoffed. But when Mary met the angel, she believed. And so the miraculous birth of Isaac that would birth a nation of people points us forward to a descendant, one that would ultimately also be born miraculously, God's own son, Jesus. God kept his promise. God always keeps his promises. And even though these descendants of Israel were often a very lowly estate, they went through multiple periods of their history in which they were slaves. They went through a period in which they were nomads. They went through rebellion after rebellion after rebellion against this good and loving Father God who had blessed them. And now, even at the time of Jesus' coming, they are still a people who are spiritually proud rather than a people who are desiring him sincerely. But God kept his promise. And through this nation, his son was born. For the proud, Jesus wasn't the present that they wanted. But for the humble, he is exactly what they longed for. Are you spiritually proud? Or are you spiritually humble? Is your posture before God one in which you think you deserve things or one in which you desire him? God took a lowly girl named Mary, born of a lowly nation, Israel, allowed his son to condescend from the heavenly kingdom to a lowly estate of an animal feeding trough. And this was a gift for lowly people like us, people like you and people like me, who recognize that our sin takes us far away from God but nevertheless, he draws near to us. It's only in lowly estate, spiritually speaking, can we truly appreciate this gift that he's given of a Savior. Maybe you're here today and you realize that your celebration of Christmas has become mundane to you. And you've lost the right perspective on your lowly spiritual position for God. That, that tension, that balance that Christians have of having joy and privilege and position as sons and daughters of God. And yet at the same time, truly hungering and longing for him because we have nothing to offer. Maybe you're here today and you've always been one who hasn't completely understood that God has come for you specifically in this gift of Jesus. 
And in either case, the call for this Christmas season is to adjust your perspective toward this great and mighty Son of God who is his gift to us. For some of us, it's encouragement. For some of us, it's to repent from a growing sense of self-reliance or spiritual pride. And yet, for some of us, it's to exercise faith in him for the very first time. Don't you just love it when someone opens a Christmas present and is completely blown away? That moment when the child starts jumping up and down and dancing around the room in glee. When dad opens his present and is completely taken aback and he's left there sitting in his chair, speechless. When mom has no response as she opens her present, but to break down and cry. I love the sincere marvel and awe and wonder that comes with the receiving of good gifts. And that only happens when we don't have a sense of deserving it, <laughs> but rather we have a sense of genuinely desiring it. You know, the acts of giving and receiving gifts at Christmas is a wonderful opportunity for us to mirror the great work of God in sending his son Jesus. When we receive gifts, the best gifts are the ones that we don't deserve, but they're given anyway. And when we give gifts, we have this chance to mirror God's generosity and goodness to us. And so as Chris and Garrett were up here a moment ago, I think about the gifts that I'll be giving to my family, and I think about the opportunity to give gifts to some people who may be of lowly estate, these international college students coming across the world to Youngstown State University, who would have Christians say to them, we don't know you, and we don't even know if you deserve this, but here is a sign of love. And we do this because we mirror a God that has so loved us when we don't deserve it. For the proud, Jesus wasn't the present that they wanted. But for the humble, he's exactly what they longed for. Merry Christmas, everybody. I hope that this Christmas season for you is one of great joy, of great excitement, that is met with a profound sense of humility before our mighty God and Father. Let's pray together. Lord God, when we think about the fact that we have truly nothing to offer you and yet you have given us everything in the person of your Son, when we think about the idea that it is difficult for us to receive him without accurately perceiving who you are and where we are. When we think about the reality of our own sin and how it pushes us so far away from you, not only in standing but in our own desires, Lord God, we worship you. We confess our pride and our self-reliance and we see that 
the marvel of your, the coming of your son is most experienced when met with a sense of fear and humility before you. Grow your people in that, in that wonderful balance of celebration and humility, we pray. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Amen.